0: In the second reading, we are called to walk in the light at the coming of our Lord and King. The second reading is from Romans, the 13th chapter. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is the word of the Lord. In the first century church, young Christians had a lot to learn. Of course, whenever people joined the church, they have a lot to learn. In the first century church, nobody came from a Christian home. Some of them came from Judaism. Most of them came from paganism, with no Christian background whatsoever. And so new people who became Christians had a lot to learn about what it means to be a Christian. A couple of weeks ago, I preached on the theme of work as discipleship about how Christians work. And we saw in that sermon how in the teaching of new Christians in the Greek city of Thessalonica, one of the things that they had to learn was that Christians work. Christians are not lazy. Christians are not freeloaders. Christians do not live off the the generosity of the church Or of individual members. If you can work, you gotta work. And we heard that that very strong statement of St. Paul he who does not work does not eat. That's tough stuff. That's one of the things they had to learn what it means to be a Christian. We work. The young Christians in Rome also had a lot to learn about what it meant to be a Christian. And they had a lot to learn in terms of Christian conduct, Christian morals, and Christian values. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus asked his disciples just to come and sit with him while he prayed, and the disciples fell asleep, and Jesus observed, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And that's how it is with us. We know what's right. We just don't always do it. The Spirit is willing. Yes, we know what we should do. We just don't do it because the flesh is weak. And that's true of the young Christians in Rome. Paul did not start the church in Rome. He had not visited the church in Rome. He knew some of the people there, but he didn't know very many of them. And his hope was... His hope was that someday he could visit Rome and having visited there, he would go on to Spain because he wanted to preach in Spain where, where no one had been before with the gospel. Well, he got to Rome in chains, a prison of the Romans, and he never got to Spain. The letter that he wrote to the church in Rome, the letter to the Romans, is among other things an introductory letter to them to introduce himself to them, knowing that he's going to come and visit them. In this letter, he tells them what he teaches about the Christian faith, and he tells them what they can expect to hear from him when he gets there. And in this letter, in at least three places, he addresses the matter of Christian morality, Christian conduct. In chapter 6, St. Paul attacks a teaching that was going on in in the Roman church that that it's okay to sin. It's okay to sin because God forgives you. And if a little forgiveness feels good, you get it, don't you? You get it. If a little forgiveness feels good, then a lot of forgiveness feels better. And in order to get a lot of forgiveness, you have to do what? You have to commit a lot of sins. And this is a teaching that was going on in in the Roman church. Paul calls it in chapter 6, are are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Should we do that as Christians? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And to speak against that then St. Paul reminded them that they were baptized. And baptism among other things is a death and a resurrection. Baptism is a death to sin. And a rising to new life we say to be born again. That's in baptism. St. Paul talks about the new life in Christ. There's a new life for Christians and you, you just can't you just can't sin. So he writes here: You must consider yourselves. You must consider yourselves dead to sin. You're dead to sin. Anybody remember the the uh, the, the TV show Monk? That that detective guy. One time, Monk was uh, got mad at somebody. He really got mad at somebody, and he said to the person, "You're dead to me." you're dead to me and what that meant was as far as I'm concerned you no longer exist in the same way St. Paul says Christians must consider themselves dead to sin sin no longer exists we don't do that kind of stuff and he spoke about this by reminding them of the baptism now there's a principle here that I want to underline because it's, it's really, really important. It's the principle about how Christians, how we talk to one another about Christian conduct and how we criticize Christian conduct. And we don't do it by shaking our finger in people's noses and quoting the Ten Commandments. In the Old Testament... The Ten Commandments are very, very important. Again and again, you hear Moses say, God says through Moses, if you keep my commandments and my ordinances and my statutes, if you keep all this law stuff, you will prosper. You don't hear that in the New Testament. And the reason is that the people in the Old Testament were under law. And we are not under law We are under grace. We have an entirely different relationship with God. It's a relationship with God through grace. And therefore, when we talk about sin and we talk about people not sinning, we don't quote the law. We talk about what it means to be a Christian. How do Christians live? And so in this, about chapter 6, about sinning a lot so God can forgive us, the argument is you're baptized you're baptized you've died to sin how in the world can you keep living in sin and the appeal is to our standing, our understanding of ourselves as Christians not through the law not this But this is who you are as a Christian and there are things you do and you don't do. In chapter 8, St. Paul takes another crack at sin. He calls it living according to the flesh. Now the flesh, don't you love that shh, the flesh? It sounds kind of gooey and attractive. Well, the flesh is not just sexual stuff. It's all stuff that we do that is Contrary to the will of God. And there were people in the Roman church church, who were living fleshly lives. And St. Paul writes this in chapter 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And then this. But you, Christians of Rome, you, Christians of Fayetteville, you, Christians here at Emanuel Church, you are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit. Since God's Spirit dwells in you. And the message to the Roman Christians was, wasn't this. It was a reminder that when they had been baptized and when they had come to Christ, they had received the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit takes your mind off the flesh and puts your mind on the Spirit. So when St. Paul spoke about evil, he didn't quote the Ten Commandments, he reminded people what it means to be a Christian and the things that they had agreed to when they were baptized. Now, again, in in Romans Romans 13, we have it again, and this is the the reading for today. St. Paul says, uh, Besides this, you know the time. The hour has come for you to wake from sleep. See, they're sleeping. For salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so let us then cast off the works of darkness. The works of darkness. Cast them off and put on the armor of light. Let us work properly, go ahead, as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now, this list here is called a vice list. It's a list of vices. It's a list of stuff that Christians shouldn't do. Jesus had a vice list. And it's in the the 7th chapter of Mark. Let me read you the list of things that Jesus put down of her vices. The first one is fornication. Fornication is simply sex outside of marriage. It heads most vice lists. And the reason is that it was the biggest vice. Here it is. Fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, Pride and folly. That's the list of vices that Jesus lists, things that we don't do, things that come from the human heart and, and separate us from God. That's a lot of bad stuff. Probably the most well-known vice list comes from Paul's letter to the Galatians. I want to read this. He calls this the works of the flesh. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. That's quite a list. And the idea is that we Christians don't do that. Here, this vice list is not very long. Orgies and drunkenness. The, my translation says carousing. <laughs> carousing. And when I think of carousing, I think of the Mardi Gras parade in um, New Orleans. You know, Some of the stuff they do in the Mardi Gras parade is pretty gross. It's pretty immoral. It really is. And in Paul's day... There were parades like that from the various, the various religions. Carousing and, and drunkenness. The next are sexual. Sexual immorality and sensuality. And then, quarreling and jealousy. Now, now, think about this. Quarreling and jealousy are put on the same level as immorality of all kinds. Quarreling and jealousy are just as bad as the other stuff here. Think about this church. This is the kind of stuff that's going on in that church. And if there were a bishop, if it happened in the church today and there was a bishop, he'd close the church down. Because we don't do that stuff. Now, the question is, how does St. Paul speak against it? Well, the first thing he talks about is to walk in the light. That sounds rather mild, doesn't it? To walk in the light. God is light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sins. Sin hates the light. Sin loves darkness. Because in the darkness, you can get away with a lot of stuff. In the darkness, you're anonymous. and You're kind of free to let the, the weak flesh do its thing. The darkness... There is a new kind of darkness, it seems to me, in our 21st century of computers that uh, I'd like to, uh, to highlight. You know, most, most, um, most browsers, most web browsers, have a function called in-private browsing or incognito browsing. you know about that? And in this kind of browsing, when you go into that mode the things you look at on the computer are not retained in the memory of your computer so that no one can tell where you've been and what you've been looking on on the computer. Now, some folks would argue, well, that's there so that if you're going to buy a present for your husband and wife and you're going to search online, he or she can't tell where you've been. Yeah, right. (laughs) For me, that's been put there for pornography. Because people can, can search pornography all they want, and when they turn their computer off, there's no record of it. There's pornography, and the computer is the pornograph. And that's darkness. That in-private browsing, that, that browsing where you can't be found, that's, that's browsing in the dark. And evil loves the dark. And St. Paul said, give up the darkness and walk in the light. He didn't say this stuff is bad, although people know it's bad. What he said was, walk in the light. And he also said, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as I was preparing this sermon, I had that all figured out. And here's how I had it figured out. What I was going to say is that, that imagine that uh, I, I wear this white robe. Now imagine that we all had white robes. Everybody gets a white robe and you go out there and you wear your white robe, whatever you're doing. Can you imagine that? And people say, well, what are you doing with that white robe on? Well, I'm a Christian. And this represents my my purity. This represents my my relationship to Jesus Christ. Put on Jesus Christ. I thought, well, that's a that's a wonderful idea. You know, when you go to McDonald's, everybody in McDonald's has put on McDonald's, haven't they? They put on the company. Wouldn't it be great to put on Jesus Christ as a piece of clothing? On Friday, I was out in my backyard blowing leaves. Now, this is how God works with me sometimes. You're doing the strangest thing, and all of a sudden you get an inspiration. Because it came to me, what does that mean? Put on Jesus Christ. What does it mean? What would some young Roman take that to mean? What would some slave who became a Christian and is sitting in the back of the room listening to this letter, what would that mean? Put on Jesus Christ. What does it mean to you? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand but I simply asked you to think about what does that mean? How do you put on Jesus Christ? I thought, well, maybe it means to wear a cross. Is that how you put on Jesus Christ? Wear a cross. Remember last Lent we did that. People wore crosses to to the Lenten service. So you go out into the world and you wear a cross, and instead of wearing a white robe, you've got a cross on. People say, "Well, where'd that cross come from? What's that about?" I'm a Christian. And if you wore that, wouldn't it deter you from sin? If you wore a cross, wouldn't it deter you from, from what Paul talks about? Orgies and drunkenness, sexual immorality and sensuality and quarreling and justice. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that help you not to do that? We know, we know that when, when a husband or wife wants to go out and cheat on her spouse, what they do is, the first thing they do is, what do they do? They take off that because that, that means something. It means they've made a commitment to somebody and now they take it off so they can go and do what they want. And when they wear it, that means that they're they tend to be more faithful to their spouse. Put on Jesus Christ. Does it mean wearing a cross? I don't even know if there wore crosses back then. I have no idea. What does it mean? does it mean that you make it very clear to people you know that you're a Christian? Make it clear. I am a Christian. Not in a bragging way, not in a boasting way, but in a proud way. Yes, I'm a Christian. And when the word of that gets around, it's going to help you to control the weak flesh in you, whatever your sins are. You see, here's the principle. In the New Testament, we're under grace. We're not under the law. So there's none of this stuff. But what there is, is a calling to be what you are. the calling to be a Christian. If you walk in the light, you won't do that kind of stuff. If you, if you put on Christ, you won't do that kind of stuff. And we're Christians. And we walk in the light. And we have put on Christ. And by our conduct, we certainly don't want to bring him disgrace. Amen.